Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Every time these contracts come up, um, whoa. It'll be over. You're listening to the sound of a moderate earthquake striking during a government meeting in Orange County, California in 2008. Earthquakes and volcanoes, like the eruption we saw in Hawaii last year, are a couple of ways that we experience plate tectonics. That's the process in which the dozen cold, rocky plates splitting up the Earth's crust slowly slip and slide on top of the hot inner mantle. They dive beneath each other. Sometimes they collide. But there's more to plate tectonics than earthquakes and eruptions. A wave of new research suggests that Earth's external motions may be vital to life. Earth's moving, morphing outer crust may be the main reason why our planet is so vibrant. And it could be why no other planet can match Earth's abundance. Catherine Huntington is a geologist at the University of Washington. It's a fascinating puzzle, and it's worth going after because it is kind of a major key to understanding our own planet and its habitability. And then also, how do you make a habitable planet? and then sustain life on it for billions of years because plate tectonics is what modulates our atmosphere at the longest timescales. You need that to be able to keep water in there, to keep it warm, and to keep life chugging along. In the past few years, geologists and astrobiologists have increasingly tied plate tectonics to everything else that makes Earth unique. They've shown that Earth's atmosphere owes its longevity, its components, and its incredibly stable temperature to the recycling of its crust. Earth's oceans might not exist if water were not periodically subsumed by the planet's mantle and then released. Without plate tectonics driving the creation of coastlines and the motion of tides, the oceans might be barren. Think about the process of subduction. Plate tectonics forces slabs of rock to dive underneath one another and back into the earth. Without that, the seafloor would be entirely frigid and devoid of interesting chemistry. And that means life might never have taken hold in the first place without it. Some researchers even believe that without the movement of continents, life might not have evolved into complex forms. In 2015, James Dome and Shigenori Maruyama of the Tokyo Institute of Technology coined a new term for this interdependence, the habitable trinity. The phrase describes a planet with abundant water, an atmosphere, and a landmass as a prerequisite for life. They all exchange and circulate material. Yet, understanding how plate tectonics affects evolution, and whether it's a necessary ingredient in that process, hinges on finding answers to some of the hottest questions in geoscience. How and when did the plates start moving? Keith Klepeis is a geologist at the University of Vermont. So plate tectonics really is about horizontal motion, but in the early Earth, it looks like there was this kind of convective vertical motion that was dominant. So subduction wasn't happening. So there was a time before continents, you know, before the first continent formed 
and plate tectonics does not seem to be operating during that early period. So that's why it's so interesting. That automatically raises the question, well, <laughs> did life predate plate tectonics? Or was it synchronous? Klepi says that's the big question people are really interested in. Figuring out why our planet has a movable crust could tell geologists not only more about our planet, but about all of the planets and moons with solid surfaces. And knowing that might help us understand whether they could have life, too. In 2012, film director James Cameron became the first person to dive solo all the way down the deepest trench on Earth. Cameron used a deep submergence vehicle to touch down 35,756 feet below the ocean surface in the Challenger Deep. That's in an area where two tectonic plates come together in the Mariana Trench in the western Pacific Ocean. Here's Cameron in the trailer for the documentary Challenger Deep 3D. Cousteau said it best. He said if we knew what was there, we wouldn't have to go. Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench is the deepest place on Earth, seven miles straight down. This is the last great frontier of our world. It's my dream to build a machine to take us there. And Cameron did. To put Challenger Deep in perspective, you could put an inverted Mount Everest in the trench and still have room for about four Sears Towers on top of it. Cameron collected samples throughout the trench, including evidence of life thriving on the seams of our planet. As the Pacific plate is dragged down into Earth's mantle, it warms up and releases water trapped within the rock. In a process called serpentinization, the water bubbles out of the plate and transforms the physical properties of the upper mantle. This allows methane and other compounds to percolate out of the mantle through hot springs on the otherwise frigid ocean floor. Similar processes on early Earth could have supplied the raw ingredients for metabolism, which may have given rise to the first replicating cells. Cameron brought back evidence of such cells' modern descendants, microbial mats. These are clumps of microbes that thrive beneath nearly seven miles of water. They live where sunlight can't reach, and pressure is more than 1,000 times what it is at sea level. Geologist Keith Klepeis says they're called thermophiles. It's heat-loving life. It doesn't see light. That kind of biology, which thrives from chemical reactions as opposed to photosynthesis. So they discovered this way down in the deep sea. And it's really exciting because it links plate tectonics with life. It shows how they're together, and it gives us ideas about what to look for elsewhere in the solar system, like in Jupiter's moons or Saturn's moons where there's water. And it also gives us an idea of what early life might have started like, what it looked like. Cameron's record-setting dive was not the only expedition to demonstrate a connection between plate tectonics and ocean life. Recent research ties plate tectonic activity to the burst of evolution called the Cambrian Explosion. That happened about 540 million years ago, when a stunning array of new, complex life arose. In December of 2015, a group of researchers led by Ross Large of the University of Tasmania published a study of roughly 300 drill cores from seafloor sites around the globe. Some contained samples that were 700 million years old. 
The scientists measured phosphorus and trace elements like copper, zinc, selenium, and cobalt. These are nutrients essential for all life. When these nutrients are abundant in oceans, they can spark rapid plankton growth. The researchers showed that these elements increased in concentration by an order of magnitude around 560 to 550 million years ago. Large and his team in Australia argue that plate tectonics drove this process. Mountains form when continental plates collide and shove rock skyward. There it can be more readily battered by rain. Weathering then slowly leaches nutrients from the mountains into the oceans. Maybe more surprisingly, Large and his colleagues also found that these elements were low in abundance during more recent periods, times that coincided with mass extinctions. Large says during these times, phosphorus and trace elements were being consumed by the Earth faster than they could be replenished. Tectonic activity also plays an essential role in maintaining the long-term stability of Earth's thermostat. Consider the case of carbon dioxide, a powerful greenhouse gas. A planet with too much carbon dioxide could end up like Venus, a planetary blast furnace. Plate activity on Earth has helped to regulate the level of carbon dioxide over the eons. Here's geologist Keith Klapice again. Just having water on the surface of the planet is really closely linked to plate tectonics and life. Kind of think of it like a triangle, right? Water, plate tectonics, and life. They're all linked and they influence one another. So it turns out when it rains, rain removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And when carbon dioxide mixes with rain, it forms this weak acid, carbonic acid, which then erodes rocks and soils on land. Rain carries both carbonic acid and calcium from dissolved rocks into the ocean. Carbon dioxide also dissolves directly into the ocean, where it combines with the carbonic acid and dissolved calcium to make limestone. That falls to the ocean floor. Eventually, over eons, geologist Catherine Huntington says Earth's mantle swallows the sequestered carbon dioxide. Those processes that are fundamentally driven by plate tectonics can regulate atmospheric gases on geologic timescales, and that atmosphere then controls our climate, and that makes it possible for life. A full two billion years before the Cambrian explosion, back in the Archean eon, Earth had hardly any of the air we breathe now. Algae had begun to use photosynthesis to produce oxygen, but iron-rich rocks consumed much of that oxygen and turned it to rust. According to research published in 2016, plate tectonics then initiated a two-step process that led to higher oxygen levels. In the first step, subduction causes the Earth's mantle to change and produce two types of crust, oceanic and continental. The continental version has fewer iron-rich rocks and more quartz-rich rocks that don't pull oxygen out of the atmosphere. Then, over the next billion years, from 2.5 billion years ago to 1.5 billion years ago, rocks weathered down and pumped carbon dioxide into the air and oceans. The extra carbon dioxide would have helped algae make even more oxygen, enough to eventually spark the Cambrian explosion. Plate tectonics may also have given life to an evolutionary boost. 
Geologist Robert Stern of the University of Texas, Dallas, thinks plate tectonics arose sometime in the Neoproterozoic era. That's between 1 billion and 540 million years ago. This would have coincided with a period of unusual global cooling around 700 million years ago. Stern says geologists and paleoclimate experts refer to the period as snowball Earth. The question is what caused it? I mean, this was a climatic crisis. Earth climate went crazy. Last spring, Stern and Nathaniel Miller of the University of Texas, Austin, published research suggesting that plate tectonics would have catastrophically redistributed the continents. This would have disturbed the oceans and the atmosphere. Stern argues this would have had major consequences for life. You need isolation and you need competition in order for evolution to really get going. If there's no real change in the land, sea area, there's no driver for competition and speciation. So that's the plate tectonics pump is once you get life, then you can really make it evolve fast by breaking up continents and continental shells and moving them to different latitudes and recombining them. Stern has also argued that plate tectonics might be necessary for the evolution of advanced species. He reasons that dry land on continents is necessary for species to evolve the limbs and hands that allow them to grasp and manipulate objects. He says a planet with oceans, continents, and plate tectonics maximizes opportunities for speciation and natural selection. I think you can get life without plate tectonics. I think we did. I don't think you can get us without plate tectonics. Stern imagines a far future in which orbiting telescopes can determine which exoplanets orbiting other stars are rocky and which ones have plate tectonics. That might guide our choices about where to send future space missions. If you think about the exoplanet we want to aim for, the one we want to aim for is the one that doesn't have plate tectonics because that's where the process will be underway. So if you have a single-legged planet that's just like Earth, that's the one we want because we won't be interrupting any evolutionary progression. But if we go to one with plate tectonics, I think the chances are much greater that we're going to interfere with something going on. I mean, it's not like that we're in danger of having to make that choice anytime soon, but it's kind of cool to think. But everything depends on when the process started, and that's a big open question. Earth formed about 4.54 billion years ago and started out as an incandescent ball of molten rock. Planetary scientist Craig O'Neill of Macquarie University in Australia says Earth probably didn't have plate tectonics in any recognizable form for at least one billion years after its formation. That's mostly because the newborn planet was too hot. Back then, just like now, convection within the planet's inner layers would have moved heat and rock around. Rock in the mantle is squeezed and heated in the Earth's innards and then rises toward the surface. Then it cools and becomes denser, only to sink and start the process again. You've seen this kind of thing before if you've ever seen a lava lamp with its colorful blobs rising and falling as they heat and cool. Through convection, vertical motion was happening even on the early Earth. But O'Neill says the mantle at that time was relatively thin and runny so it wasn't able to generate the force necessary to break the solid crust. Earth would have had a so-called stagnant lid without moving plates. 
University of Vermont's Keith Kleppeis says subduction is key. If you don't have subduction, you don't have plate tectonics. So basically the, the function of subduction is it makes continents. <laughs> That's what it does, right? So if you subduct, you melt stuff. And the volcanoes are a function of melting. But you then the stuff that you melt is a different composition. It's lighter. And eventually, if you do that enough, you create continents. O'Neill published research in 2016 showing that early Earth might have been more like Jupiter's volcanic moon Io. That's where there's a lot of volcanic activity, but not a lot of lateral motion. As the planet began to cool, plates could more readily couple with the mantle below. That caused the planet to transition into an era of plate tectonics. But this raises the question of what cracked the lid on Earth and created those plates in the first place? Some researchers think an intrusion might have gotten things moving. In the past few years, several teams of researchers have proposed that asteroids left over from the birth of the solar system might have cracked Earth's lid. O'Neill and his colleagues published research suggesting that a bombardment of asteroids a half billion years after Earth formed could have started subduction by suddenly shoving the cold outer crust into the hot upper mantle. In 2016, Maruyama and his colleagues argued that asteroids would have delivered water along with their impact energy. Geophysicist Brad Foley of the University of Pennsylvania says water can act as a lubricant, making faults more likely to slip or move. Sort of a general idea that having water around weakens rocks and can help us create these plate boundaries and kind of break the surface up into plates. But it's possible Earth didn't need a helping hand at all. Its own cooling process might have broken the lid into pieces, like a cake baked in an oven that's too hot. Three billion years ago, Earth may have had short-lived plate tectonic activity in some regions, but it wasn't widespread yet. Eventually, cooler areas of the crust would have been pulled downward, weakening the surrounding crust. As this happened repeatedly, the weak areas would have gradually degraded into plate boundaries. Eventually, they would have formed full tectonic plates driven by subduction. At least that's what David Berkovici of Yale University and Yannick Ricard of the University of Lyon in France suggest in their 2014 paper in Nature. Or the opposite might have happened. Instead of a cold crust pushing down, hot mantle plumes, like the kind that drove Hawaii's recent eruption, could have risen to the surface. The hot liquid could have percolated through the crust, melting it, breaking apart the lid. Stern and Scott Wadham of Korea University in Seoul showed how this could work in a 2015 study. According to these theories, plate tectonics may have started and stopped several times before picking up momentum about three billion years ago. Yet, it's hard to know for sure because the evidence is so fragmentary. O'Neill says the oceanic crust is only 200 million years old. He says we're missing evidence we need to understand this. So we're stuck with the same fundamental questions from the 1980s. Kleppeis says it's exciting to think that the answer could lie someplace deep in Earth. He points out that plate tectonics is only part of the picture. That's just one layer of many, right? Like there's the core, there's the outer core, there's the deep mantle, there's the upper mantle, there's the atmosphere, there's the biosphere, there's the cryosphere. They're all connected. They're all linked. 
through water, through biology, through plate tectonics is one factor. And so people realize this is a much more dynamic system than we ever thought before. And maybe it's centered on plate tectonics, but that's not the whole story. That's what's exciting now is people realize, wow, people just figured out that there are remnants of plates that were formed millions and millions of years ago, billions even, that are still preserved deep in the mantle. And you can use them to figure out what happened in the early Earth. So far, the oldest rocks on Earth suggest that some sort of proto-subduction was happening as far back as four billion years ago. But geophysicist Brad Foley says experts can usually come up with multiple ways those rocks could have formed. There's just a lot of difficulties in using the rock record to figure out what the tectonics was like, because one, there's just very, very little rock exposure as you go back in time. And then the rocks that are there are really deformed and kind of hard to interpret. Still, sometime between 3 billion and 2 billion years ago, Earth's mantle apparently underwent several chemical changes that can be attributed to cooling. That changed its convection pattern. Some geologists say this shows the gradual onset and spread of tectonic plates throughout the planet. Foley says geologists are still arguing about what happened. The real answer is we don't know. We've got these rocks, but we can't figure out what's like the smoking gun that would tell us, oh, there was definitely subduction in plate tectonics at this time. Oh, there definitely wasn't. It's also hard to think about what we would see in the rock record that would tell us these are rocks that formed and like had to form in some regime where there wasn't subduction. So are tectonics essential to life? Ultimately, the problem is we only have one sample. We have only one Earth with its water and slipping and sliding outer crust. We have only one place teeming with life. Other planets or moons may have activity resembling tectonics, but it's not anything close to what we see here. Take Enceladus, a frozen moon of Saturn. It vents material into space from strange-looking fractures in its global ice crust. Or look at Venus, a planet that seems to have been resurfaced 500 million years ago, but has no plates that we can discern. Then there's Mars, whose tectonic history is a mystery, even though it's home to the solar system's largest volcano, Olympus Mons, which Klepeis describes. The reason it's so big is because <laughs> the interior of the planet just kept pumping out heat and magma in one place. It just built up this huge thing where... That doesn't happen on Earth because the outer surface is moving. The Martian volcano, which has a diameter the size of Arizona, is in a great bulging region called Tharsis. And Tharsis is so gigantic that it might have weighted down Mars's crust enough to cause its poles to wander. O'Neill has published research showing that a Mars-sized planet with abundant water could be pushed into a tectonically active state, and others have argued that some regions in Mars's southern hemisphere resemble what's formed by seafloor spreading. But researchers like Foley agree it hasn't had any action for a long time, based on data from Mars rovers and orbiters. It's pretty conclusive that Mars hasn't had plate tectonics for at least 4 billion years, because that's how old we think the surface is. And if there was any plate tectonics, it would be recycling crust into the interior, and we wouldn't have this really old crust. There's some arguments that maybe very, very early on it could have had plate tectonics, but 
there's not really any strong evidence for it. So my view is it probably never had plate tectonics. The InSight Mars lander, which landed on Mars in November, will help settle the debate. It not only picked up this sound of wind on Mars, But the InSight Mars lander also placed a seismometer on the red planet in December. Eventually, InSight's three instruments aim to measure the thickness and makeup of the Martian crust, mantle, and core. Scientists hope it will provide new clues as to how Mars lost its magnetic field and whether it once had plate tectonics. Here's Keith Kleppice. If we can understand other planets, like Venus and Mars, and even the moons of Jupiter, it helps us know what to look for here on Earth. So right now, the tectonic processes on Venus are really interesting. Venus is not dead. It's just got a different tectonic style, right? We think that that same style occurred on early Earth. And it's a reason to keep exploring other planets. It helps us back home. While the origins of plate tectonics remain a subject for debate, geologists can agree that at some point the gears will stop grinding. O'Neill has come to think of plate tectonics as a middle age phase for rocky planets. As a planet ages, it may evolve from a hot, stagnant world to a warm, tectonically active one. Then, in its later years, it may become cold and stagnant. We know planets can grow quiet as they cool down. Many geologists think this is what happened to Mars, which cooled off faster than Earth because it's so much smaller. Earth will eventually cool down enough for plate tectonics to wane and for the planet to settle down into a stagnant lid state once more. New supercontinents will rise and fall before this happens, but at some point, earthquakes will stop. Volcanoes will shut off for good. Earth will die, just like Mars. Whether the life forms that cover its every crevice will still be here is a question for the future. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Rebecca Boyle's full article, Why Earth's Cracked Crust May Be Essential for Life, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Want to learn more about science? Check out the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, with its stories about untangling the mysteries of the universe. It's published by the MIT Press and available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore.